All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it for you. That's too much. Yeah. I'll just say the words and you can add the, the music, you know, the rhyme, if you wish. Um, today is Alora Day. What is Alora Day? Alora <laughs> Day is when Laura comes and wants to help me work on the house to get it cleaned out and throw stuff away and haul stuff. Laura is a freaking worker. She just, uh, she's an Idaho farm girl uh, who was raised in modest circumstances. She was very, very intelligent. Always has been. She's very smart. Um, physically, um, short, stocky, strong, hand, hands like a man. Um, I mean, she's a woman, but I mean, she has, doesn't have what I would say feminine features. She's more masculine looking and, but um, very, very intelligent. I mean, very knowledgeable, very settled. Um, yes, <laughs> very strong, strong, strong discernment. Uh, you got to be on top of your game to deal with this woman on any level. Um, I can feel when she's scoping me. I can feel it. And I can see through her machinations, too. And it's funny because when she's trying to get her way on something, I can feel that she's trying to get her way on something. And then I can see in her face that she knows she knows I'm aware of it and that I'm countering it with arguments. Um, and because she can sense it, she yields. Like she, she said, um, she called me on Saturday. It's no Sunday night. And she said, Oh, you in town? Okay, what does you in town mean? It means, what it really means is not, are you in town? What it really means is, um, are you in town so I can come up there and help you clean the house? But see, she's she's so smart, she knows how to edge her way in. She'll say, oh, hey, George, are you in town? I'll say, yes, matter of fact, I am. Are you going anywhere? That's the second question I've become accustomed to. And I'll say, no, actually, I'm here in town, not going up to Claire's for another week or two. I'm going to give her because her neighbor is chasing me, so I'm giving it a break. And she'll laugh, and then she'll say, well, you know, um, I'm available. I could come up Monday and help you work on the house. And of course, I'm strategizing because there are very few people who I want to see all the time. And then there's a lot of other things, you know. She's my wife's best friend, so I feel like I should let her help me, and I do appreciate her help. I really do. But then there's, you know, she's married, and being in a house alone with a woman kind of a thing. There's, but though she never does anything or says anything that suggests, it's just I don't think. Um, I think you need to be careful with that stuff. I really do. Whether they're single or married, I think that you just need to be, as a man, especially in this day and age, um, though I don't have these concerns for her, it's just uncomfortable if it happens a lot. Or if we spend hours together instead of a couple, two or three hours, she spends the majority of the day. It's it's just too much for me. Um, and sometimes I get in my car and go for a ride after she leaves just to release the stress and be alone because I need my recharge, my alone time. But that is not what this podcast is about. That was an introduction to tell you I don't have long to do a podcast because she's coming. So I need to be concise. I need to be direct. And that is what my that's what I intend to do. Be direct. 
I want to talk about discouragement, being discouraged. I have heard so many outrageous things said about discouragement. It's just, it's sad. I, I really, in one sense, it's a good thing. In the law of opposites, it, it functions very well, that we have people who don't know what they're talking about telling people that they do know what they're talking about. Uh, that, in a way, it's a good thing because you need to have the opposition. Um, and then, because I'm good about straightening that shiza out, when I hear somebody giving somebody some incredibly bad advice, I have been known to walk up into a conversation I was not invited to and wasn't a part of and voice my opinion and try to help the person getting the bad advice to not follow the bad advice. I, and it sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. I don't really care. When I hear somebody advising somebody poorly or worse with an agenda, they have intentions and they're trying to position the person, I am going to torpedo that. You can believe that. It's going to happen. And I will measure it in my, in my mind. I'll determine what's the best way to approach this. So the person who's getting the bad advice gets the picture. And the person giving the bad advice doesn't really isn't really aware of how much I'm torpedoing their advice. I usually try to approach it that way so I don't offend either person. Now I've had people say, "Well, you know, um, well that, that's your opinion, and you know, and everybody has their opinion, but I'd prefer to listen to them." Oh, no problem. Hey, okay. I I do very quickly say to them, "Fine." Sorry, I interrupted, and I walk away, and I say. Whatever you do, you do. I won't. I won't give you um, in in an objective opinion. I will not give you something to compare what they're telling you. Um, like I remember overhearing a conversation where this person was advising this person to um, to go out and get a um, uh, what do you call that? It's when you get a loan against your house, an equity loan. They were they were telling this person they just come back from vacation. They'd gone to Cabo St. Lucas, I think it was. It's in Mexico on the Caribbean side, you know, the Gulf side. Oh, this wonderful vacation. Oh, they're just, you know, laying around, laying around on a vacation. Really? And they say, oh, we're just laying around in the sun, you know. And, and my husband kept pulling on my bikini strings. You know, he was being playful. I was listening to this, and I thought, what in the function is going on here? Oh, you need to go. Yeah, we had a few, you know, beverages, adult beverages. They're playing up this vacation, which sounded to me like they just went to Mexico, got drunk, and played grab ass. That's what I was getting out of the conversation. But the way she was presenting it, if you were a worldly-minded person, it sounded very enticing. Hey, you go to Mexico, you know, this beautiful place on the golf side, and drink a few drinks and have your husband play grab ass with you, and everybody's just tongues hanging out because they're checking you out. Then, you know, you go to the hotel room, drink a few more drinks, and, you know, do whatever. That's how she was presenting it and saying, and the person said, well, how did you want to vacation? How long were you gone? Oh, we're gone a couple weeks. You know, we, we, we didn't want to rush things. And it, it was almost like this person worked for a travel agency. So I was, li- <laughs> I was listening to it. It was like Swiss cheese. There were so many holes in her story. I couldn't believe she was passing it off as a reality. Um, so anyway, so I was listening and I thought I got to, I have to say something. I just cannot contain myself. So 
but well, before just before I started walking toward him, and then I heard the woman say, "Well, two weeks in Mexico. How did you do that?" And she said, "Well, we just took an equity loan, line of credit on our house, you know, on our equity. We just got a ten thousand dollar loan and went went to Mexico and had the time of our life for two weeks." And I thought, two weeks, ten grand. You blew ten grand in two weeks by taking a loan against your house. You're an idiot. That's what I was thinking. So anyway, she was playing it up like, oh, yeah, you got equity in your home. There's no big thing. You can just go there. They'll give you the money, almost like it, it's yours to begin with. It's not. Equity in your home is probably getting an equity loan from your home is probably one of the most risky adventures that you can get. One, you pay an incredible interest rate for that loan. That's number one. Number two, the equity is... It's not real. It's uh, a projected value based on the market and, you know, the comps in the neighborhood, houses similar to yours, what their what their uh, real estate appraisals are and all that. So it's a complicated formula. But um, the thing is, is when you say, for instance, like myself, we paid cash for our house. We didn't want a loan. Didn't want any of that BS. Never took a loan against the house. Never did anything stupid like that. Um, I won't say what the value is, but I'll just say this. I own it free and clear. So what they appraise the home to be worth, that's what it's worth if somebody's willing to pay that amount of money for it. Doesn't mean it's really worth that. It just means that at the market... Right now, market forces say that if somebody wants to buy your house, this is what they should pay for it. But that does not mean that it's worth that amount of money. That is an estimated value. So, for instance, if you have a house that's worth $400,000 and you take a $10,000 uh, equity loan against the equity, and say, for instance, it's appraising for four hundred, dollars but you owe three fifty. dollars Excuse me, you owe three fifty. So what they're telling you is you have fifty thousand dollars worth of equity. You taking that ten thousand dollar loan means you one you lowered, you know, the equity, and you're paying on a, a projected value of your home based on current market conditions. I'm going to tell you why I'm warning you about this. Well, that sounds great. Wow, house is worth four hundred thousand. We got fifty thousand equity. Ten grand won't break the bank. Okay, so you take the ten grand. You know, you take the equity loan. Everybody's happy. You're paying ten percent interest, but you don't care because ten percent is nothing. It's only ten dollars out of a hundred. Well, what do you think ten percent is of ten thousand dollars? Yeah, it's thousand dollars. You're paying a thousand dollars for that loan. Yeah. You're paying 10% interest a year till you pay it off. So think think out. You're not just paying $1,000. You might end up paying several thousand dollars for a $10,000 loan against an artificial value of your home. That's not bad enough. Now the market dips. Your $400,000 home is now only worth three hundred and fifty, dollars and you took a $10,000 loan against it. Instant evaporation of the equity. You still owe the ten grand. You're going to pay the ten percent interest. Um, your house is worth less money, so selling it to pay it off means you're going to lose 
the money you borrow plus the interest, if you, that's what you do. Or if you lose the house. That isn't even really what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm distracting you. Think about that before you make decisions. Let's talk about discouragement. Um, if there is, I think, if there's any device in the world to keep somebody from doing something, um, whether it doesn't matter if it's worthwhile or foolish, the single greatest means to keep somebody from doing anything is to discourage them. Um, I've seen people, and I'm not exaggerating, I'm, I'm just being completely honest. Well, I, I'm honest with you anyway, but I'm just saying I'm going to give you the details. I've had experiences where a person told me they wanted, to, they're going to go back into the workforce. They're going to look for a job. I said, okay. Um, I said, have you thought about what you want to do? Almost most people, almost everyone who's ever told me this, it's always the money. They don't talk about what they really want to do. They don't talk about starting low and growing with the company. They don't talk about getting more education so they're more marketable. They, don't, they never talk. Most people never talk about that stuff. Most people talk about finding a job that pays them the greatest amount of money. That's it. And they'll work nights. They'll work weekends. They'll make all these concessions if the money is where they want it to be. And they won't even really think about what they might have to do in extra, because whenever they hire you for a job, there's always more you're going to do. That's just the way an employer justifies paying you the kind of money they do. You're going to earn the money. They're not giving it away. So the person will say to me, um, I'm going back to work. And I'll say, oh, because I think it's a good thing. If you're young enough to work and it's, and, you know, it's a good thing to work. Um, I choose not to, but I choose to work in a different way. Um, but you, I think it's a good thing. I think work is a good thing. So I'll say, well, what kind of job are you looking for? I don't know. I'll say, you're going to go back to work and you don't even know what you want to do. Well, you know, um, I've got to make at least $20 an hour. So I guess I'm going to look for jobs that are going to pay $20 an hour. Immediately spider senses are flashing like a, oh, like a train light. Cause I'm thinking you don't even know what you want to do. You know what you want to make. And you're basing that decision based solely on what you're going to make at the job? What if being a turd herder pays $25 an hour? Are you going to wade up to your freaking shoulders, your armpits and crap to freaking direct refuse sewage down a certain way for $25 an hour? I mean, if you want to do that and, the, and that's the money you're looking for and you can stand the smell, go for it. I certainly wouldn't do it. That's the first thing I hear from people. The second thing I hear from people is this. Um, well, I've been out of the workforce for a while, but I have an old resume and I'm going to submit it. Instant red flags for me again. Outdated resumes are not going to get you a job. And half the time when I read people's resumes, I find two things with people in their resumes. I find people who undervalue themselves and don't represent themselves property, properly. And then I find people who present themselves as the creator of this world. <laughs> there isn't anything they can't do. There isn't anything they don't know. I mean, it's, in, it's the freaking John Wayne of the universe or Jane Wayne. <laughs> Jane Wayne of the universe. 
I read the resumes and I think you will not get a job. Employers will see right through this and they'll wonder why the hell you're even applying. So sometimes I offer to rewrite the resumes. If they're good and they're undervaluing, underselling themselves, then I would take the resume and I put in there what I know about them to make them look like the person I see them as. If there's someone whose resume, if they claim to be the inventor of the freaking V1 and V2 rocket, which we know is false because we know that Werner von Braun was the one who invented those things, um, I, I usually lack interest to help in helping them with a the resume because it's fraudulent. And I don't like working with people who are fraudulent. I like working with people who tell the truth, people you know who are honest in their appraisals of themselves. And most people who are honest people always undersell themselves. They don't see themselves for who they really are, and they undersell themselves. Where discouragement comes into this is, is this one thing. Discouragement is really from within, although it's augmented by outside forces people that don't believe in you, people um, who try to discourage you, who tell you, you know, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you haven't, you've been out of the workforce too long, you've been a mother and you get all these kids, you know, whatever it is they say to people, people say a variety of things. Um, or, you know, well, they're not hiring people your age. I've heard that one too. Um, <laughs> I've heard a lot of things. That fuels the discouragement a person already feels. Because one of the first things when a person decides they're going to do anything, I mean anything, and this is everybody. It's at various degrees with people, but but it affects everybody the same way. In the in in the um from the in the respect that whenever anybody's going to do anything, they instantly are faced with the pros and cons. They're instantly faced with what the potential for success is and what the potential for failure is. Everybody faces that. Some people go into a snowstorm in their shorts and a tank top because they have that much confidence in themselves and they're wearing flip-flops. Um, other people are bundled up against the cold. They got a freaking survival kit, you know, a, a freaking sled with, with, you know, sleigh dogs and all this stuff. Um, but they're filled with fear. So depending on the composition of the person, everybody faces those things. So what discouragement does is it has a way of diminishing the positive and accentuating the negative. That's what discouragement does. And one of the first, well, one of the first aspects of discouragement is a person will begin to talk themselves out of the very opportunity that they have been given. They will be. They will critique themselves, and in the final analysis, they'll find themselves unworthy of the opportunity, incapable of making it work, um, not able to to grow with the opportunity. They they see it as black and white. I can do it or I can't do it. They don't say, I can learn to do to do what I need to do to accept it, and make it work for me. Very few people are that way. Um, and, and some that are very successful and others are just plain arrogant. Um, and and in, the, in their arrogance, they will cheat and lie and steal and misrepresent. They'll do all those types of things by claiming victory. They'll take other people's work or ideas and they'll present them as their own. 
So there you have those three classes of people. Now, discouragement cannot be remedied with a pill or a single statement or one of the most annoying things to me um, are what I call the the encouragement whores. People who, you can do it. They make these one-sentence statements. It's yours. You can do it. It's all about you. And I'm thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Explain that. It's yours. What do you what do you mean by it's yours? You got this. What do you mean? You got what? <laughs> you got the opportunity, but does that suggest because you've got the opportunity that success is assured? You don't have to do anything but just stand there and everything will unfold before you and you can reap the benefits of just being in the general area. Opportunities aren't like that. Those are very discouraging in a sense because people who buy into that or believe it, it quickly evaporates. You get a person who's you know low self-esteem, low confidence, um, anxious, et cetera, et cetera, and you pep talk them into the point where they go through the door and you stay outside, they'll go through the door and they'll look for a place to sit down where you can't see them, meaning you helped them get through the door, but without you there to continue to encourage them, they don't, they don't do anything. They hide, they sit, they, you know, they don't go forward because pep talks are not enough. If you're going to encourage somebody, you need to stay with them and you need to do it gently. You need, it needs to develop within them. I mean, you can, I see these fitness coaches, come on, pull, it's got to hurt or no pain, no gain. I see these people standing over people, berating them uh, into, you know, pulled muscles and torn ligaments and everything out, uh, everything else you can think of because they are pushing the person. They're not pulling them. Pushing people is a very ineffective way to get people to achieve things. Pulling them meaning helping them along and letting them stretch, letting them develop their own muscles to walk with, their own stamina to go the distance. That's how you mentor people. Mentor, a true mentor works with the person on their level and raises the bar slightly, never raises the bar abruptly, always slightly. And they let the bar sit there for a while till the person becomes acclimated to the height of the bar. Then they raise it a half inch more, maybe an inch. Whatever the proportion is to the person's ability, they raise it to. So they don't get a person who's afraid to jump over something and have them jump over a one-foot high bar and then raise it to six feet. That's not how you do it. You gently raise the bar. You encourage them. And when they jump over the bar, that's their validation that they could do it. Not because you said they could. But because they jumped over the bar, now now, the, now they have the validation that they're able to do it. And then you just suggest to them, wow, wow, you jumped over a two-foot bar. You th- and this is my approach to people. Wow, you jumped over a two-foot bar. Do you think you could jump over, uh, and I purposely do this, you think you could jump over a three-foot bar? Oh, no, George, that's too much. I couldn't do a three, huh? Well, what about a two-foot, six-inch bar? That's six inches less. I'll bargain them down to where they determine they can be successful. 
Because when people feel they can be successful, they really believe in themselves, that's when they don't become discouraged. That's when they're encouraged to do something. But if you set the bar too high, your expectations of someone too high, you automatically discourage the person because they know they can't do that. You have to work with them to the degree where they say to themselves, I, I think I can do that. Even if they say, I think. Um, it's better if they say, I can do that. That's a lot of confidence. But even if they say, I think I can do that, I say to them, why don't you try? Because what they're telling me is, is I believe in myself and I'm going to put forth the effort to make it, make it work for me. I'm going to see. Those are people you can work with. I've had many people in my life who I tried to help, I would say, well, and it was very obvious to me they could do it. And I'd say, well, I know you can do it. And they'd say, well, I don't think I can. I'd say, well, it doesn't matter what you think. Well, that's not true. It really does matter what they think, but I'm trying to psych them out. So I'll say, well, it doesn't matter what you think. I know. So sometimes I use my Jedi mind tricks. And like a person a few months ago, I was encouraging them to do something, and they said, I don't know if I can do that. And I said, are you arguing with me? And they laughed, and they said, no. And I said, well, it sounds like you're arguing with me. And I was doing it in a joking way. I said, because you know I've got all the answers. I know everything, and you don't. So why would you tell me you don't think it's going to work when I'm the one who's got all the answers? And they laughed, and they said, well, you do. you got a lot of knowledge and wisdom. And I said, okay, so why are we arguing about this? And they laughed, so I'm not arguing. I said, okay, then why don't you just freaking do it and get it over with? And they said, well, okay, I'll do it. And they did. And then they came back, and when we were talking, um, they, they were telling me how they were happy that they went ahead and tried it because it was successful. And I laughed, and I said, well, I have to admit, I did manipulate you into doing it. Um, I did trick you into doing it by, you know, leading you along and playing to your, your fears um, and, and basically saying, you don't know what you're talking about, what I do, so you should do it because I'm telling you I know what I'm talking about, which is true. I did do that with them because I knew they could do it. And I knew if they just tried, they would be successful. And if they were successful, it would build their confidence. But I did admit to them, yes, I did do the Jedi mind tricks on you. And I told them a few other times I did. But the problem, the problem isn't, well, I shouldn't even say problem. The truth is what I was doing was for what they told me they wanted to do. And I realized with them that their confidence and the belief in themselves was so low that I needed to help them bridge the divide. I needed to help them go from one place to another, or they weren't going to do it. Now their um, confidence has grown dramatically. Um, their confidence has dramatically grown. Um, they're going places. They're doing things with their life. They are a different person now. Yeah. And, then that, and that's the thing. They're a different person in a good way. Change is not good for the sake of change. You've heard me say that. Barack Obama was an idiot. Change for the sake of change? I don't think so. I'm going to close with a statement. Discouragement will always be, to some degree, a factor in every one of our lives. I am still making some of the same mistakes I've made for years, and it drives me insane. I hate it. 
and I'll go for a while not making the mistake, and then I'll make the mistake, and then I'll just make, just be so depressed because I think I'm supposed to be smart. I know this stuff. Why am I doing this? Um, and then I'll work through it, and I'll have a period of time where I don't do it again, and then I'll do it again. And it just depresses the life out of me because it's not of any real value. It's a, it's keeping me from being a better, more developed person, and it drives me insane. Um, but here's the difference, I would say, between myself and a lot of people. I will not give up. There's a lot of things in my life that were wrong that I overcame. Um and you can say it's relative what is wrong, but I quit smoking, I quit drinking, the drugs, the freaking promiscuous lifestyle, the daredevil freaking risking my life doing stupid things. There's a lot of things in many, many, many other areas that I overcame the negative aspects of that behavior, and I do not do those things anymore. There are still some things I struggle with, mistakes I make that I am working on, and I will not give up. That's the important thing. Um, and when I counsel with other people, um, I'm cautious about who I, who I believe, who I take to heart when they say things. Everybody gets cross-examined in my mind by what they say to me. And if it's valuable, if it's appropriate, you know, I accept it. If I already know it's stupid, I don't listen to it. If I sense there's an agenda, I find out exactly what's going on and I deal with it appropriately. Discouragement for me is a very temporary feeling. You know, the, there's the depression and, oh, I wish, I, why am I doing all that? But I never am discouraged to the point where I don't act. I don't allow that because I know that if you allow discouragement, to overtake you, it'll cause you not to act. It'll cause you not to make decisions and choices in your life. And you'll spiral down to you where you're just existing. You're not really living life. And life was meant to live or to be lived, not to meant to be survived. Yeah. Okay, that's it. I'm going to let you go. Just remember, your life is your life. It doesn't matter what other people tell you. It doesn't it doesn't matter what you see other than other people. It doesn't matter. Nothing of none of that matters. What really matters is if if you can incorporate those things into your life, because all the choices, decisions rest with you. Your life is yours and not anybody else's. All right, that's it. Hasta la vista, baby, and babettes or whatever. I don't know that. Goodbye. There we go.